Sup, y'all. Sup, y'all. Welcome to yet another episode of We Don't Know Her. I'm Katie. And I'm Christy. And uh, we have just the, just the two of us again. It's nice to, I feel like it's, I know we said this before the last time we did an episode by ourselves, but as much as I really love interviewing some of the people that we've had on, and I hope to have more people on, it is, it's you so much me, more, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> you love me? Uh, no, not at all. Oh. <laughs> it's uh, so much less stressful. Oh. It's breezy. You know, it's like carefree, easy breezy. Beautiful cover girls. Yeah. Um. So it just feels more chill. And I know that we have like a girls night ahead of us. So I'm just, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling in a good state of mind and a really good state of mind to be vulnerable. And um, would you look at that? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So I, you probably didn't pick up that was a super smooth transition, but Katie's we're going to be... specialty. Yeah. Um, just coasting one topic to another. So yeah, we're going to be talking today about um, getting vulnerable and how that's been a challenge for Christy and I for different reasons. And um, although we relate, as usual, in some areas we overlap, there's a lot of uh, other areas that we don't. So pretty much like every every topic we talk about... We have a lot of alignment in mm-hmm. things, but then, again, we've said this from the beginning that we have a lot of differences as well. So We are a Venn diagram almost always with truly. our topic. Um, so I think that before we jump into the episode and get super vulnerable and share our deepest, darkest feelings with you guys, we should do a little bit of a catch-up. So what is happening in your life and in your world and how have you been doing with your vows to yourself that you said last week you were recommitting you remarried oh. yourself or you re- oh i was vowed um, yourself or something renewing my vows to myself mm-hmm. yeah well unlike jlo and arod as of today <gasps> oh, know, we are I still saw. committed we are still committed in a relationship with ourselves and things are going well that was no shade to JLo or A-Rod, but it was just something that just well, happened a today. Bit of shade. <laughs> um, maybe a light shade. Um, yeah, no, we're we're doing well. We're hanging in there. I mean, have you done your? Did you do a podcast oh, I, and a journal? Um, I did last week. Um, I did it kind of in the nick of time, but I I still got it done. So that's all that matters, and. Again, I didn't do it just for the sake, but I wanted to make sure that that I did do it to reap the benefit of of exactly what I was intending. I wanted to recenter myself, get in touch with some feelings, learn a couple things, and I did it. So, I mean, for both you and I, times are a little busy right now, mm-hmm. so... You know, just trying to find the time to do the self-care has been a challenge in and of itself. Well, that was one of your things that you said last week was that you wanted to start setting yourself up for success Mm -hmm. and preparing ahead of time. How do you feel that you did with that? Well, again, like I said, I, I accomplished it. I felt good about it. But there's always a but. Mm -hmm. Um. The only but that comes into play was just that the way that I did set myself up. So I I talked about like my meal prep and stuff and how that's something that, although may seem benign, is significant though 
um, because it makes a huge difference for my week. But it was just the food that I made that, Um, you know, like, yeah, there's nothing like disappointment you get from food Mm -hmm. that you're anticipating will make you feel good and you're excited about and then it's a letdown. But again, managing our expectations, it didn't ruin my week, but it was just kind of like... I that wish that I can didn't. that would that can ruin my week sometimes because if I make things that I don't like or I end up buying things that aren't realistic that I'm not really going to cook or I know whatever like that'll screw my whole week and I know it I well, know it so and it's hard food again I I I have anxiety about about things like this because I can't I can't go well, off on why, but yeah. but the the detail of why it was such a disappointment was because I tried to make this very simple standard couscous salad, little like Greek salad type of thing with like cucumbers and tomato. My mistake was the dressing. There was no dressing, oh. and there was also chickpeas, which I try so hard. I'm trying to give chickpeas a chance on their own they're just not for me and I I know this but I took a risk I put them in the salad and it was too much Mm -hmm. I didn't like it so you know it's okay I'm not again I'm not gonna let it ruin my my week but it was just a bummer well I'll have to when we stop recording I have a a good couscous salad recipe that I'll I'll send your way it's Turns Pretty standard. It doesn't not, have chickpeas in it, so and it's not so nice that they named it twice. Sometimes. Well, the trick is, you know what? I won't get into it. We're gonna start sounding like <laughs> literally. We're gonna start sounding like Great British Bake Off. This is gonna take a turn. This is what we really sound like. Just two old women. Where I'm like, I found a sweet new recipe. <laughs> if you want oh. me to send it to you, I send you a recipe probably once a week. I um, never use them, but I appreciate the effort. I know, but that's my mission. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's good that you stuck to it. I, I also held up my. My end of the bargain. I have been making my green smoothies. I'm still on a journey. Still haven't found the right combination that I'm super into. Kind of, I have the same thing as mm-hmm. you. Like, you know, it's a growing week. When you recommit to yourself and you start trying to get into good habits, you got to give yourself a little bit of time to find exactly what works for you and what you what you really like. So I'm working on it, but I did do it. And I did yoga a couple times this week. Well, my version, you know, mm-hmm. just yoga poses however I wish set to music and um yeah so I'm happy I it's really hard to not do exactly what I said when we set these intentions which is start sliding down the well I could do more and like yeah I did one day but that's not really enough like Mm -hmm. I have to make peace with really just doing what I feel like doing and trying to be cognizant of what I actually feel feel like I want to do so it's a journey and these are all very good metaphors for life you know Mm -hmm. is managing our expectations and also finding that balance episode on that called uh what do you expect of me so when if you're curious about our relationship with expectations which is fucking fraught you go back and listen to that episode um and hear us go into that in deep detail yeah yeah. Um, yeah. So we're doing that. We're just seeing what works. We're finding the balance, not leaning too much into gluttony or being lazy, but also not burning ourselves out with trying to be overproductive. So here we are. Yeah. Just we're living the dream. We're doing our best. Um, 
So let's uh, dive on in. All right. Well, what is there to say about vulnerability? (laughs) This is, I feel like whenever we go into these deeper topics, I just, I feel like I always have to preface the conversation for everybody else's sake. I mean, you know how many tangents I can go off on, but Mm -hmm. just to let it be known that there's a lot to be said about this topic. We have learned a lot. It's very uh, complex. So I feel like a good starting point would just be kind of establishing what we think vulnerability means and how we interpret that and also what our relationship was like with it before. What did we think that it meant? Because I know, at least for myself, I thought that it was, I viewed it as something completely different and much more minimal than what it actually is to me today. So um, why don't you kind of give everybody an idea of what what did you think that that meant before? How did you live your life? How did you view vulnerability? Um, I honestly, I thought it was weakness. I thought vulnerability was something that was like an insult. I think uh, like calling someone a coward, weak, um, it was all synonymous to me with vulnerability. I was just kind of under the impression whether that was how I was raised, who I was surrounded with, where I'm from, a combination of everything, I just, I, I never saw vulnerability being praised. I saw it only resulting in terrible failures of people getting in fights or getting their feelings hurt or, um, you know, I was just, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, I was always taught to kind of suck it up, move on, nobody cares, stop crying. So vulnerability just encompassed all of that like it was like those are all things you shouldn't do in my world so um I obviously was not although I think I was born super vulnerable naturally I was a sharer I learned that that wasn't I thought that it wasn't a good thing so I kind of conditioned myself out of it yeah I I think that I can't say for sure but I feel like when we're born into this world we're a clean slate and all of the ways that we interpret how to be a human comes from life experience and our environments and who raises us and all of that. I know that you've talked to me a little bit before about, um, you know, people like your, your sister, for instance, you feel like maybe she, like there's certain people that just may not be born with that willingness to be open about their feelings, but you feel like you were. So yeah. it's just kind of interesting to see, you know, do we really think that that's something that we're born with or is it something that we're taught? I think it's a combination. I think that I even know this just from nannying so many different kids and seeing how they could be in the same city with parents who have a that are pretty similar and similar jobs and all these things. And they're very different. And uh, even sibling to sibling, you know, within a family, there are, like you said, my sister is very different than me. There are some kids who are more likely to like pout and sulk and hold it all in. And you really have to, if, if you want to, I mean, if you want them to talk, you really have to pull it out of them. And then there's other kids that want nothing more than your undivided attention and just to tell you exactly how they're feeling and what they want to be done. And I think it's innate. And then depending on the parents you have, the school you're in, the friends you have, it can either be pushed out of you to not be vulnerable anymore or you could be encouraged to become more vulnerable. Um, I think it's a combination of nature and nurture. 
Yeah, and I, I do think that there's just, from the time that you're born, just throughout your whole life, it's just constantly with that pendulum, keeping it in the middle as much as possible as to not swing too far one way or the other because sometimes being completely vulnerable all of the time I'm not here to say whether that's a good or bad thing, but it just does come with a lot more risk and sometimes a lot more repercussion. But the same way that being super closed off and completely invulnerable is also not super productive either because you just keep yourself in a shell and you don't get the luxury of that genuine human connection that being a little bit vulnerable brings. So... That's basically just what we're here to talk about and kind of see the chronological order of our evolution with vulnerability. Well, um, do you think that you were somebody who was born more vulnerable or not? I think my earliest memories would say that I was born vulnerable because I'm just a naturally emotional person. And until I was essentially conditioned to not be so open about my feelings did like you know with that came years of building up a defense mechanism and a wall so i think that i definitely started out much more uh willing and comfortable talking about or expressing my feeling if i felt a certain type of way um but without going into too much detail about that because it it does involve a lot of like family history and the way that I was raised in certain situations. But the the general takeaway from that was just, you know, a couple of instances where I can vividly recall expressing how I felt about something and not in a way that was, you know, throwing a temper tantrum or being over the top. It was more so just like, you know, I don't really care for this type of food or I don't really like this present that somebody got me and then just by simply stating things that I liked or didn't like for example I would then be met with being told that I'm ungrateful or that I should just keep my mouth shut because there's repercussions to everything that I say and it kind of scared me a little bit to the point where I then just didn't want to share how I really felt about anything and um, it snowballed into, like I said, years, decades of just different types of defense mechanisms to protect myself and mm-hmm. not have to express how I really felt. So I definitely viewed vulnerability similar to you in, in the way that it felt synonymous with a weakness. It feels, for me, it was more of just a discomfort and a lot of fear, Um you know, we just don't go there. We just won't go there. We're not going to put ourselves out there because it doesn't work in our favor. So we're just not. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a couple there. There was a couple different instances that, although my family overall, as I mentioned, was kind of like a suck it up and move on. You know, when I was a really little kid, my mom would let there would sit there and let me complain to her and voice my feelings. When I was very little, but the older I got, that that stopped and it was, you know, all right, time to suck it up. You're not three years old anymore. Literally, mm-hmm. um, you can't do that. So, but I, th- I think what shaped it more was that I saw how my friends um, <clears throat> were really 
vulnerable and authentic. And I think I talked about on this podcast before, actually, that I I had friends of mine in elementary school that were, we were kind of nerds, you know, the three of us. And we, we were in our own world. You know, we couldn't have been less, we were so oblivious to what anyone thought of us or anything like that. And I think I got clued in on it earlier than they did. And I think I watched maybe what people said about them and, and right in that transition from being like a child into like middle school when there's still kids playing with toys, but then there's kids like drinking in the woods. It's such a huge jump. And I remember seeing kids that were so authentically themselves that weren't grown up yet, just get ripped apart. I mean, so just teased and bullied and made fun of and excluded. And I, like I've said, I, I, was such a perfectionist. I I saw that that was poison. I mean, I knew that that wasn't acceptable. And right around that time, you know, a friend of mine did have sex with someone and I didn't I was in 6th grade. I didn't know what that meant. Like I didn't I didn't understand and I ended up talking to a classmate about it at school and I I really think I don't remember the conversation, but I think I was trying to piece together what happened. Like what was sex what did they do what all of it and I just didn't understand and by the end of the day word had gotten around and I had a group of girls waiting to beat the shit out of me for for basically talking talking about this girl and saying that she was having sex and they they made it sound like I was trying to just talk shit and um I really wasn't I but I learned like okay wow if you have questions you better search it on the fucking internet or figure it out do not don't let anyone know what you don't know because that's that's a recipe for disaster yeah and I I think what happens is that you know in it was a different time back then and I feel like in general now with so much more progressive conversations around mental health and children and what they're exposed to and all of that, I think that parents are much more privy to, because the internet now is so huge that Mm -hmm. it just plays a huge role in, I'm sure, parents being more vocal or proactive about talking to their kids about Well, they have to, they have to get to them, yeah, before the internet does. Right. And I think with us, with both you and I, in situations like that where we are genuinely curious or we are genuinely feeling a certain type of way and we want to express it, you know, if you were to come home to your mom and ask her these questions, maybe your trajectory of vulnerability would be a little bit different depending on how it was explained to you. And having the reassurance at that age to to feel like, oh, it's okay that I asked these questions. These you know, the other party just interpreted a certain way. It's not your fault. So having or not having that reassurance, I think, can also be a super pivotal point of then how you feel moving forward. Do I even want to ask questions in the future? Do I want to stay curious? Because the only reassurance I got was that if I open my mouth, I'm going to get my ass beat. So then Yeah, and like ironically, my mom tried to have like the sex talk with me. I think like it was that same year. It was probably six months later or something like that. And I remember even when she asked me if I knew what sex was. Because six months when you're in sixth grade is basically a hundred years. It felt like so much time had passed. And I scoffed. And I was like, yeah, I do. Now, thank you so much. Appreciate mm-hmm. But I remember 
even then, that vulnerability of even my mom knowing that I didn't know what sex was, I was like, get the fuck out of here. You're mm-hmm. not going to act like I don't know. Like, I would rather, I, I'll i make it up. I'll pretend I know. I will do anything other than that vulnerability of letting someone be like, oh, you don't know? I'll explain it to you. And I'm like, mm, I hate that. Mm-hmm. I hate that. To this day, that actually set me off like last week someone did that to me and I (laughs) – Well, I think that's maybe one of your innate qualities of being born with a sense of pride in a way where Katie will die on a hill before she admits that she did it. And that's part of my vulnerability lesson is like, you know, that we'll get to, which I – the pride aspect of it was something that I had to tackle Mm -hmm. later on. Um but it is still, I am the teacher, I'm not the student, you know? Like, that's how, I, I'll be the student if I believe that you're a worthy teacher, but mm-hmm. I'm not a student to just anyone. Yeah, and there's a huge sense of pride attached to being vulnerable or not being vulnerable mm-hmm. because a lot of times it's not just pride, but just your ego in general, it just gets in the way of so many things. And at this age, we know that now, but back then... We don't know any better, you mm-hmm. know, of course. We we were still pretty immature, so we just lean more towards what's more comfortable. And at that time, it was anger, pride, and that's it. So yeah. that's pretty much how we dealt with problems. And again, like I said, I feel like growing up, that's definitely where my vulnerability was shaped based off of what I saw happen if I were to speak up and say that I don't care for something. And because I can't remember a lot of times when I was expressing happiness about something or being excited about something, it was more so just like, you know, yeah, things are fine. But if something were to come up that I wanted to speak up about, it was, again, like I said, it would just be some type of punishment for doing that. And right, not like, not necessarily like a physical punishment, but it was more so just a self-esteem issue. It just, it kind of, it well, made it's funny. me. Like it's not to cut you up, but like, I, I don't want to forget this is that it's our interactions with what we believe to be vulnerable. I mean, really do directly tie into what we struggle with in terms of our vulnerability now like you're kind of the way that you started off and not being able to criticize something or speak up for yourself or say like hey I don't agree or I don't want to do this or I don't like this or whatever that then became what is vulnerable to you you know what I mean like that speaking your mind in that way is well and honestly if we want to go even further back and even deeper I think that there could be something to be said about being born into this world. Everybody's vulnerable, obviously. You're a brand new baby. But because I was learning trust and what that meant, being adopted, and then, you know, coming to this country from my, you know, my environment that I was born into and being this very vulnerable little being and kind of getting ripped away from 
that initial human contact, Mm -hmm. I think might have also had something to do with not establishing a feeling of trust. Like, you know, I kind of, I was adopted when I was nine months old. So in that nine month period of, from the time that I was born until that point, I was learning human connection. I was trying to figure out who my caretakers were, who was going to take care of me. And then I was, it sounds harsh to say I was ripped away. I wasn't ripped away, but you know, that connection was torn. Mm -hmm. um, very abruptly. And then coming to a brand new environment with brand new people, I think at that point was probably really the starting point of me learning who to trust. And if I cry, who will take care of me and then so on and so forth. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it just goes, there's just all different periods of time in, in our lives where I'm sure these seeds were planted, but just having that uh, specific, like, quality about my life, I think, could really say something about, you know, being well, yeah, vulnerable. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what parents, it, it's hard. It There's a lot of studies that I'm sure it has an effect, and what, how strong that effect is, I think, is debated. Like, there's, I've seen a lot of studies, even in terms of, like, the theory of cry it out, um, mm-hmm. because for that very reason, then there's a theory that babies are then being vulnerable and learning that no one's going to show. However, as somebody who that theory makes sense and mm-hmm. so you are literally stuck with a baby who does nothing but cry and then you have to teach them that that's not always going to work just because you want to see me. So it's it's very it's hard mm-hmm. um to to find that line, but it is interesting like your initial everyone's initial um, interaction with vulnerability, you know, as a conscious child, not Mm -hmm. just a baby, but as somebody who remembers these experiences, I think they directly tie to the vulnerabilities that you have now. Like, I don't feel in my house, um, like being vulnerable was never speaking your mind. Like, that's not vulnerable to me. That's, That's the opposite. So, like, I, I was taught to do that always and I never... I don't have many uh, negative situations in my life where I felt that speaking up was putting myself in a vulnerable position. That's just not how my brain works uh, because I wasn't reprimanded for it and it didn't affect me. However, asking questions and acting like I didn't know something or, or exposing that I didn't know something led to me getting punished Mm. over and over and over. Dating guys that were cheating on me and I didn't know. Mm-hmm. A guy that in high school I dated for most of my high school time and then he abruptly broke up with me and left and it seemed that everyone had known that was the plan but me. So every time I didn't know something, my that was me, that's being me being the most vulnerable I could be. So now I'm a control freak who needs to know absolutely everything. And I told you the other day, we're working on our house, a plan got changed. I didn't know Ricky went ahead and made the change. I tear it up so fast. <laughs> like, I just, you know, so it's funny. It, it really does, vulnerability isn't just a blanket thing. It mm-hmm. is directly tied to what you, what times that you felt that you exposed yourself mm-hmm. and then were punished for it or, or had negative consequences. Right. So that vulnerability for different people could be so many things, mm-hmm. you know, trying out to be in a play and getting humiliated, which actually happened to me, but didn't affect me. I was like, all right, you're a loss. Mm-hmm. I'm amazing. But 
you know, there's different things that could be really scarring to someone. And then as a full grown adult, you are still, you see that as the most vulnerable, you know, that you could be. And like, we, we know people who had fallouts with friends, um, and now feel that the most vulnerable thing they could do would to be close to someone and have close friendships because they might just leave you. So it, it goes across the board. I think it's interesting, though, to, to take that into account. And then, I mean, I think, so by the time we were both teenagers, you and I both were pretty callous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were not vulnerable with our feelings. I think that's pretty clear to say. Yeah, and if anything, um, it really just... We just get more hardened over yeah. the years because I think that we fed off of each other and the people that we were with, it was reinforced to be calloused as opposed to being more vulnerable and open and expressive and your true self. So I, I think that we, you know, in some way kind of it was like a symbiotic thing where it was like, well, you're not like that. I'm not like that. We won't be like that together. Yeah, partially why we became such good friends mm-hmm. is that we weren't, you know, always trying to have what we felt was these unnecessary conversations and these, uh, you know, um, vulnerable moments, I guess. But I think the unique thing about our friendship is that, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is that you and I we as we mentioned in the podcast before we've gone through a lot of kind of huge life things together from loss uh like literal grief to life changes friend fallouts uh parent issues all sorts of things that we've witnessed with our own eyes each of us in our most vulnerable positions that we had ever been in to this to this day so i think that you and i there was an unspoken level of vulnerability between us where we didn't need to say, say it because we saw it. Right. So I was like, I already know what you look like when you're being vulnerable and when things are the worst. And I think you do the same for me. So um, I think having that is what can be so helpful about having such a long-term relationship, um, friendship, relationship of any kind is that you can build that vulnerability because you're just witnessing it happen you don't have to pull the information out of someone yeah and I think that it can also be misconstrued because if I didn't mention it before the way that I used to view vulnerability was pretty pigeonholed in thinking that it was just about verbally sharing things about myself about my past about my life and that was it. I didn't mm-hmm. view vulnerability as this much bigger machine of experiencing these things together in real time, being supportive of each other and helping each other through th- these really significant points in our life. And, you know, I, I, I'm just glad to kind of be on the other side where now I can appreciate that that is what vulnerability is. Um, it's not just sharing deep dark secrets or crying in front of each other or anything like that it is a lot more but it is very scary because again just going back to the point that you made it just we've become so accustomed to feeling like vulnerability is like a crab without their shell a turtle Mm -hmm. without their shell it's exposing any part of yourself that is truly authentic to yourself and again if you don't even really know yourself that well it can make sense why you run away from it so much because you don't even know what it is. You just 
don't like the feeling, so you're not going yeah, to then you indulge. Could, like, you could die on a hill that you don't even believe. You don't want to put yourself out there unless you're – not saying you shouldn't. A lot of people, I think, feel that they can't put themselves out there because they don't even know if it's worth getting canceled over. What if they don't even really mean that? What yeah, if, if they don't see a benefit you know, to it, if there's no reward, then why do it? It just – it feels like um, life is only worth living if you get positive reinforcement. And that's just not how it works. And that's why we're doing this podcast is because it has taken us this long to know that life is not just about being praised and complimented and getting likes, right, getting positive affirmations from other people in order to then feel some type of self worth. It it really does start with your sense of, you know, the emotional agility that we talk about and the sense of self-esteem that, you know, at some point you can get to any situation where you may be rejected or criticized or anything like that and it won't affect you as much. Um so it, you know, it's, it's a process, but you have to go through, I don't know, 30 years of life and traumatic loss to learn that. Well, and I think we're still, you know, we're still not even close to being as vulnerable as hopefully we will become in the future. I think that we've definitely um, made strides. No, for sure. But I still hope to, I still know that I'm not, you know, my ego, my pride, are always they're always there and it's it's a battle it's something that I'm just gonna have to deal with um you know kind of forever and I think that a major I mean I I know I brought it up a couple times here but definitely going through loss is what took away my ego and my pride and and allowed me to be vulnerable because unfortunately you don't have a choice you literally can't even pretend anything if you wanted to. You know, you're so sad and tired and exhausted and all the things that, um, I mean, I allowed some of my worst enemies to see me in some very vulnerable states after that point that I would never have allowed. But I literally couldn't even deal. Um, so I think that that was a combination of at that time I was 20 and I was also nannying for someone who got me into yoga. I was also very close to someone who was uh, influential in teaching me about crystals and using your mind and manifestation and the power of your thoughts. And I think right around that time is when my brain started to shift in the idea of what vulnerability is and what it can do for you and how short life is. So why would you spend the finite amount of time that you have pretending to be something else or not like really living the full experience? You know, like why put on this extra shell and pretend to do anything? It just none of it made sense to me anymore. And that was when I first started having my first few vulnerable conversations with you and with friends that of ours in the past of like, hey, this hurts my feelings. This is uncomfortable. I feel like I'm being excluded. Um, you know, things like that. And unfortunately, <clears throat> as I brought up before, it wasn't recept it wasn't received by that party. And it was another it took a, a lot longer for me to understand that I have to cons I have to 
still be vulnerable even though I'm not getting the results that I want. It doesn't mean that being vulnerable is wrong. It mm-hmm. means that I'm telling the wrong person about my feelings. Mm-hmm. And that maybe it's the person is broken, not me and my feelings mm-hmm. and my vulnerability. Yeah. Everybody is valid to feeling whatever they feel. And I think that is the part of the struggle is if you don't have a strong sense of self, no matter what you feel, you will only be validated by what other people tell you is okay. And until you get to the point of having a stronger sense of who you are and what you're worth and that it is okay, you can validate your own feelings, but it's how it comes out to people, how you communicate it, what your relationship is like with that person, that you need that, you do need a little bit of the positive reinforcement in that sense, but um, the difference is that you will still walk away whether you get it or not, feeling like, okay, well, I still feel how I felt and it's still okay. Although it wasn't received well, I still know in my heart that I did the best that I could and that's kind of how you can kind of practice and move on from that to be much more stable and not as fragile with your ego. And I think our 20s, luckily, again, we've had this long running friendship and the privilege of being able to see each other at such different stages in our lives. But I think in our early 20s, probably until really our early 30s, this whole decade has been a lot of trial and error, a lot of learning from different relationships, whether they stuck around or they didn't. And I think that the relationship that I have spoken about before, my really long-term seven-year relationship, that was the first time that I can think of in my somewhat recent memory of my shift of what vulnerability meant. Because I think up until the point of when I was in that relationship, I was dealing with a lot more things being done to me that really were not my fault or, you know, I don't know how to explain it. It was just like a lot of the people that I was surrounding myself with were much more overbearing and I just kind of went with the flow. And then when I got into the seven-year relationship, I was able to speak my mind more and being with somebody who was a little bit more quiet with their feelings, allowed me to kind of regain some type of voice for myself. But at times it became detrimental because then I would kind of take it and run with it. And then the roles were switched. I became a little overbearing, a little too cocky with my voice and telling other people about how I feel. Um... And once that relationship ended, I was in another relationship that really put a mirror to myself and served me one of my first slices of humble pie that, you know, this is a direct reflection of how you kind of were in that long-term relationship. So maybe this whole time that you thought that it was all the other person's fault is not true. You know, I was really able to take a look at my behavior throughout that relationship and see where I could have done better and maybe where I was wrong or instances where I was very adamant about blaming the other person for my feelings when really I contributed 
to my own feelings, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So it was really just a way for me to admit when I was wrong. And I don't think that I had really ever had to do that before until that Which, relationship. Which to you is vulnerability. Exactly. Because I think for a lot of people, it's not. Right. And again, it just, it's a testament to how I was brought up, how I viewed vulnerability before that. I thought that, you know, yelling, screaming about how I feel was the way to communicate. And when I was in this seven-year relationship, I didn't get any punishment for that. I didn't have much repercussion from that. So it, again, like I said, I kind of took it and ran with it when really, I mean, I'm glad that it it turned out the way that it did because since then I've been able to kind of recalibrate myself, you know, to express myself when I need to but not be a dick. Um, but also be able to say sorry when you are. To admit, yes, to admit where I where my shortcomings are. And I mean, to be honest, even with that long-term relationship, when I had that moment of clarity of like, wow, the way that I'm being treated right now is how I treated this person for a long time. And I took the step to reach out to my ex and, and it was with no agenda other than to just say, hey, if I've ever made you feel like this was all of your fault and I put a lot of blame on you, I just wanted to be known that I apologize for any of my shortcomings in the relationship and times that I may have made you feel bad about yourself. Just to let that person know that I don't blame you and, um, you know, get my ego in check a little bit. So, you know, since then, it's it's been still a long progressive journey, but I think that that was probably my my turning point of seeing vulnerability in a different way. Yeah. I, I think moving forward and now that we have had these experiences and these reframing uh, points in our lives of vulnerability, from the point of when you shifted... Mm-hmm. How has it now evolved even further, would you say? I will, there's a lot of things, uh, I guess, topics that were, you know, off limits to me in my mind um, that I felt were too vulnerable to discuss. Um, things that I've gone through, things that I feel, things that I think, and I don't allow that anymore. There's no such thing as something that's too vulnerable. There's no such thing as something that, um, is too deep that something could hurt. And this podcast is proof of that. I, this podcast is the ultimate test in vulnerability in that I refuse to allow anything in my life, um, to look, I, I don't allow anything about myself to be something that I see that could be weaponized against me. It is or it isn't. And if you don't like that about me or my or who I am or whatever, then you don't have to be around me. But I don't care. And you're not going to hurt me by saying that you don't like me or you don't agree or whatever. Um, I've just settled into a place of who I am. And I'm on a mis- I'm on a mission to get to know myself. That's that's literally like I can't it's really not a shtick. Like this is my whole mm-hmm. thing. So I'm on a quest to figure out who I am more authentically and if anything, become more and more vulnerable and continue to put that out there. The deeper that I go with myself, 
y'all will know about it because I'm going to be putting it right out there. And um, I think that I've just reached a point of being able to um, not let my pride get in the way of a good thing, of not allowing myself to, you know, of what the negative consequences, quote unquote, that are associated with being vulnerable, I'm not allowing them to be part of the equation. They just, they might happen or not, but they're not part of the deciding factor of whether to do it or not. Mm-hmm. The blowback I might get or the, the if somebody doesn't receive what I say well and they, if I say that my feelings are hurt and they come back at me and say, no, they're not, <laughs> then I'm walking away. Um, so I think I've just reached a point of, understanding that being vulnerable is very similar to being authentic Mm -hmm. and it's also kind of my anecdote to my anxiety because anxiety you know surrounds yourself in fear and questions and and uncertainty so the more vulnerable that you can be and just put that outside it can't all live in my head so um well I think that our relationships that we have now we have really put a lot, we've invested a lot of work and care into them in order for them to be the best that they can be. For instance, your marriage, your friendships. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is extremely important for anybody who is trying to tap into their vulnerability and get to a level of having a healthier ego is to understand that your relationships with people around you play a huge part in that as well because you do need to have some people around you to kind of point out certain areas that you may miss or where you may um you know start to slip a little bit or just keep you in check basically and again in a way that is very understanding and compassionate but also very real and authentic and although it may not be something that you want to hear there are things that people do need to hear because you can't be your own judge, jury, counsel because it can be hard to really navigate your moral compass and and decide if you're being a good person or a thoughtful person or a vulnerable person because you're surrounded with so much around you, whether it's social media, seeing other people maybe acting not the best that can play into your conscious and and kind of make you question if you are being considerate of other people's feelings and so I just think that your relationships are super significant and having good people around you that are also being genuine and authentic and vulnerable to um, kind of just help tune your sense of when you're right and wrong because it's hard to like I said well and and when you and when to be vulnerable and not because I think the right and wrong ties in strongly to where you feel vulnerable in saying sorry right apologizing I think for like for me having people that ask me questions that um say it's okay to like that have open conversations with me about what I'm curious about or what they're curious about, which is my vulnerability, you know? So I think surrounding yourself with people who push you 
to explore your vulnerability, not to really harp on it and build up those walls even harder. And however that looks for you, because you do need somebody who, um, if you're somebody who maybe is a bit more closed off, maybe try to find some friends who really live their lives. You feel maybe even way too out there. Like you're like, oh my God, just even thinking about saying that in public would be mortifying. I think surrounding yourself with people like that can pull you out of your shell. I think that that's what I love to do. I'm one of those people who um, I think a lot of times I'm that person who maybe says the thing that might be too much. Um, And although it can be annoying, I and I have a husband who tells me to reel it in. I also think I've made him a bit more vulnerable and pulled him out of his shell and um, allowed him to be his authentic self because, you know, he sees me doing it. So mm-hmm. what's if anything, they're going to come for me. They're not going to make fun of him. So I think that, yeah, no matter what your vulnerability is, finding yourself a group of people or relationships that help you explore it and not put your walls up even further is mm-hmm. key. And or just allow you to you know, act out and, and give you reassurance in areas that are full of shit, because that's not helpful either is having, like we've said before, having hype men around you all the time is not helpful. It is not beneficial to you getting a good sense of yourself. Because if you walk around just constantly thinking that you're right all the time, it's like, it's just that cycle of then you're not going to be able to form healthy relationships. You won't have genuine connections with people because you will just go around thinking that you are always right. You're never wrong. You never have to apologize. And it keeps that vulnerability inside and kind of just continues to damp or tamp out that, that flame. It doesn't, you know what? And the other thing that I, I don't want to forget is that while having these relationships, friendships like you and I have, my relationship with my husband, been very helpful for my vulnerability, the time itself is not what has made us vulnerable. We are not vulnerable with each other um, because Ricky and I have been together for almost 11 years. That's that's not it. There's times when you can meet someone and settle into a pattern and a level of like, okay, you meet someone over the first year, you tell all of your secrets to each other and you get to know each other and then that's the level you're at and you stay there and you never go deeper. And it's a challenge and it's something to really work on um, to consistently ask yourself, am I being vulnerable? Are they being vulnerable? Are we still really curious about each other? Are we still growing and learning and um, exploring things together or are we just staying comfortable yeah because I think it's it can be even more difficult to be vulnerable with someone that you've known the longer you've known them sometimes Mm -hmm. the harder like we've said we feel that way with our moms there's no one that knows us longer than them so it it can be really hard to be vulnerable with someone even when you've known them longer because it's like well now I've known you this long and we've gone through all of this and I'm worried that you will change your mind and Mm -hmm. all of that will go away because now you learn this thing about me or what if um you know you you're angry that I didn't tell you sooner that you feel that I was living a lie or there's so many things and I think that yeah relationships evolve the same way that you evolve as a person 
your relationships then also have to evolve. And that's kind of what determines who will stay and who will go. And not because anyone is undeserving of being in anyone's life, but if you are somebody who is on a path to continue to evolve and evolve with the relationship, but the other person remains stagnant and is not curious about Mm -hmm. you or themselves or even willing to step out of their comfort zone of, you know, whatever your friendship dynamic is, it's not going to go anywhere. You will just continue to go parallel. You will not grow together. And that's why we just can't stress enough that it it is all about learning about yourself, but it your relationships are so important because it, you again, you just need to have some people around you to kind of keep you in check and um, just point out some blind spots that you can't, you can't see on your own. And, um, I'm just now starting to evolve even further with the vulnerability because every relationship that I've had thus far, clearly still being single has not worked out for those very reasons. It, I would say one of the main patterns in the relationships that I've been in have been that I've remained curious and just interested in going deeper and learning more and the other people I feel like they haven't and that's just why their relationships they fizzle out because you know it's not something that you can just point out and say like you're doing this wrong but it does say something when um the relationship just plateaus and then it doesn't go anywhere. Well, I think something too, which I want to bring up, I mean, this is, (laughs) I am not like in defense of men, but just want to point out, you know, that I think that vulnerability is something that's so closely tied into toxic masculinity and so many men are conditioned to not be vulnerable and to never state their feelings. So it's not surprising that as a woman, you're coming across multiple relationships with men who struggle Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable and and in a very real way, not just say the words, but feel the words, hear it out, connect. Um, That's really hard for a lot of guys. And I think that, like I said, I think Ricky might only, we're able to do that because I met him when he was 19 and we started doing this 11 years ago. A lot of guys who've gone through their 20s and 30s um, societally and maybe within their families and friends and school have been pressured to not be vulnerable. And if you're a guy listening to this, there, it's I, – I feel for you. It's, it is just as hard. Mm-hmm. However, that makes the work double as important for you to do it than for us because mm-hmm. for every person that – every time you're doing it, as uncomfortable as it makes you – you are, number one, breaking the stereotype and changing this and breaking the chain. And number two, setting example and teaching someone else that men can be vulnerable and they can share their feelings and they can say sorry and they can admit that they are not strong enough to pick something up. And that is no problem. No. So I just want to make that little no, and aside, that caveat while you're talking. Sorry. And it's a good point to keep certain women in check too because women are just as guilty of – perpetuating that stereotype that men are weak if they are vulnerable Mm -hmm. and you know I've heard plenty of podcast girls even you know anyone our age who almost kind of make it a joke to belittle men for being little bitches um 
Is that wrong to say? Um, for being expressive of their feelings or crying or being sad or anything. But you have to, again, just be mindful of the space that you are creating for other people, not just men, but anybody in general, because if you are craving, and when I say you, I'm kind of talking to myself because I was guilty of doing this, of craving vulnerability from another person so much and maybe to a point of making them uncomfortable because I was so adamant about it and expressive about how much I needed it from then from them not realizing that I was not being vulnerable in return or or maybe not creating the safest space making for them the feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable with me so which I know we've we're all guilty of I know I did that for the first half of my relationship with Ricky I definitely didn't create the safest space and it's something I'm still working on you know um it's it's hard it's really hard work but I think what I want to uh something I want to touch on is um what are some of the things that you've done that you think have actually helped you become more vulnerable like physical actions or things that you specifically have done um that has helped I would say learning to admit when I was wrong in situations um, with that humility that I was served in different relationships. Um, I've been able to see where I could have done better or maybe I didn't do very well and apologize for them or just acknowledge them to the other people. Um, apologizing has always been a very difficult thing because it's it comes with that feeling of the other person always having something on you and just realizing that it's not, it doesn't have to be this game. It's, it's really just a give and a take. It doesn't have to be be always having the upper hand on a situation and I think that I did suffer from a fragile ego for a long time because I was just so fearful of feeling criticized or not good enough or whatever um something I wanted to mention was just the podcast we we talk about Dax Shepard's podcast all the time armchair expert but he had Jason Bateman on there and they were talking about vulnerability and something that he said that I thought was so on the money was um, just the challenge of saying that you're wrong. It feels scary because you're creating this opening between you and this other person for them to just be able to see you who, for who you really are. You're an imperfect person. You're somebody who's capable of making mistakes. And once they see that, they they see that forever and i think that anybody who is very fearful of having that vulnerability um it can make it really hard to apologize when it's needed and i really just think having the people around me to say hey you know maybe did you consider this other person's feelings when you were well do you think that also that therapy has helped you 
become more vulnerable and, and state your feelings of how you're really feeling and not just like we touched on in our anger episode or whatever, not just being angry or whatever, but actually saying <clears throat> that hurt my feelings, that upset me, that, you know, like how did you break down the wall of being able to say that hurt my feelings? I think it's been a recent development of stripping away the need of the validation from other people for my feelings. I think that I was constantly in search of other people telling me whether or not the way that I feel was okay. And I mean, there's nothing tangible from therapy that I think that I can pull from. I've been in therapy for so long that of course it's been helpful, but I think that Mm -hmm. it's just been more of a learning process of realizing that I'm entitled to feel however I want, but it just matters how I communicate that to people. And it's really helped with my fear of rejection, my fear of abandonment, all of those things that really play a role in my vulnerability. So it's just been those building blocks of learning how to be more self-confident and being accountable for myself. And that's what's really helped me so the less you, yeah, like the less you care about what people think, the easier it is to be vulnerable and be your authentic self because you're not worried about the repercussions right. of what someone else will think. Yeah. I, I don't need to hear from somebody else that it's okay to feel that way. I now know that it is okay to feel however I feel, but, you know, just communicate it. Just kind of learn to pick and choose your battles. You have to learn where you can kind of bend you can't always get things your way. So yeah. it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's it's very, very useful. Yeah, and I think some of the other things that are helpful that helped me, any, uh, you know, I can say that personally they helped me anyway, is um, to, you know, to accept your flaws and your imperfections and say them out loud like be like yes this is you know I am not tall I'm not physically I don't have a naturally athletic body I am not quiet and I'm not demure I'm not you know there's a lot of things about me that are could be seen as flaws And instead of keeping them inside and just harping on them and allowing them to be seen as like, oh, those are my weaknesses and my vulnerable spots, I just let people know that off the bat now. When I meet them, like, I'm the first to say like, yeah, I might be really obnoxious or I might be really loud or I might be annoying or whatever. Like, just heads up, this might be how it is. Um, Because the otherwise, if I don't just say that and put it out there and own exactly what it is, the whole conversation and the whole night I'm going to be thinking in my head, was I too loud? Did I, should I said that? Should I have even put that out there? Like, why did I do that? And I'm questioning if I was too vulnerable or not enough. So I think owning your insecurity um, is helpful. And then same thing with anything that causes like guilt or shame, all wrapped up in the same place. Um, those can all be your vulnerabilities and the things that you are, so sensitive about and your real soft spots and I think becoming comfortable with it and owning it and saying like like for me I am someone with disordered thoughts around food that is a fact that's just who I am it's not a secret it is nothing to be ashamed of it's just my brain that's how it works so the less power you give it the less 
of a vulnerability it is, I think. Um, and then, you know, one of the last things is just what you and I touched on a little bit earlier is that you, not everyone, sometimes you're right. When you're sitting there and you're like, if I tell them how I'm feeling, they might just get up and leave. They might reject me. They might never talk. They might never text me again. They could ghost me, whatever. And sometimes that might happen. You, you might get ghosted. The person might not react the way that you want them to. And you have to know that and be prepared for it. Do it anyway. That's not a reason not to do it. However, keep in mind that that might happen. And when it does, you can't say to yourself, fuck this. I knew it. I was vulnerable. I put myself out there and just like I thought, they blah, 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 blah. And then go back into your cave and shut yourself down forever. You have to be like, yep, okay, I knew that. I, I said that to myself. I said there was a, there was a chance that that might happen. Um, but what did I learn? Okay, I learned that now maybe the next time, maybe that type of person or maybe that type of relationship isn't the right one. Maybe now the next time I want to open up about this, I'm going to tell a friend instead of the guy I'm dating or I'm going to tell my sister and not my mom or whatever it is. Um So knowing your audience and what you want to get from them and knowing that you might not and that's okay and you can still continue to be your authentic self and those people can deal with their own feelings. Right. It's it's just always about managing your expectations with a lot of things in life. You know, it's accepting things about yourself without the connotation of whether it's good or bad. You are who you are and not everybody is like you and that's okay. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you should or shouldn't be a certain way, but it does again come with that constant calibration of when to be vulnerable and when to kind of protect yourself. Um, Again, because I think that being so hard one way or the other is not necessarily beneficial. It's one's not better than the other, but learning how to kind of read a room, especially when you are meeting new people, how vulnerable are they being with you, kind of match that vulnerability and let it progress organically to see, you know, are we kind of on the same page here? And I think that it plays a huge role in, you know, especially the dating scene nowadays, um, or just in general of depending on what you're looking for, with dating are you looking to find like a really genuine deep connection with somebody or are you just trying to you know cure some momentary loneliness but if you are looking for that actual genuine authentic connection if anything being somebody in the position now who's still kind of experimenting with my level of vulnerability with new people it for me I've I've gotten to a point of feeling a little bit more confident about who I am and accepting that. But um, I I know that there's like these rules, these unspoken rules of dating where after a certain amount of dates, you should, that's when it's okay to start divulging information about yourself when it's hard to explain because I think there's certain nuances to it. I don't believe that you should just lay all of your cards out on the table the first couple of times you meet somebody. But I think that it is you know, a little bit more beneficial to kind of get a sense of who they are as a person on deeper levels as opposed to just knowing what their favorite food is or 
what they do on the weekends, you know, I think that that can all come later, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I don't know that there is, I don't think that there is such a thing as too vulnerable, to be honest, because in my eyes, if you, it's only the power that you allow to go along with those words, with what you say, right? So you could be as vulnerable as you want. You could say your deepest, darkest secrets on the very first date. If that's your guy or that's your girl or your person or whatever, they're not going to leave because they're going to find that information out today, tomorrow, next week, next month, Mm -hmm. at some point. So if they are somebody who runs away from that information Mm -hmm. or not into it, they're going to leave you at some point. So what's the risk? If anything, you're minimizing the risk of getting invested and having such a terrible breakup. I I told you this. I went through that mentality because I didn't tell anyone – I didn't tell people that I was sexually assaulted. I didn't tell some people that I told somebody who – I dated somebody who died. You know, understandably so. These are things that are pretty big red flags, you would think, as meeting someone. But then it got to a point where I kept not telling them. I would tell them. They would get weird. Things would end. And I was like, this is fucking crazy. So I just told Ricky off the bat, pretty much – not first date, but pretty close – you know, I didn't say the details of what happened, but little anecdotes. And I think that doing that and like what you're doing now and leading with vulnerability is um, it doesn't mean that the relationship's going to work, but I think it gives you a much better idea right away of what are the odds of it working. Right. It's again, everything just goes back to Wayne's world. But, you know, like if you blow chunks and she runs, <laughs> it was never meant to be. But if she comes, if you spew and she comes back, where's spewing that? If you spew and she comes back, then she's yours. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think that if anything, it's just a time, um, or not a time eliminator, but it's just something where you can, no matter what, that information about your life will always be there. Right. Like you said, there's. It will always be there no matter how long just you wait to share it. get it out there it. instead of like so, every day and being like, all right, day 700 that I haven't told him, you know, like, well, or whatever, I mean, you know. I don't know. I think I, it's hard. I, I, I still think that it's worth waiting for certain information, I, depending how vulnerable you want to be, because I don't know that oversharing is always the best thing to do in the very beginning. Well, but I think there's a difference. It, like, oversharing, I think, is giving all the nitty-gritty details, telling the whole story of every – this is the story of my life and everything, you know? There's oversharers that it's, like, enough. Mm-hmm. But then you can do, like, a brief, like, here's an outline of my life. Like, this happened, this happened, where it's well, not like I'm going to glaze over it because it's too deep for, and not even, for you. It doesn't even always have to be about deep traumatic instances in your life or experiences. I was talking to you about this earlier where it can even be – just how you are as a person, your anxiety, your depression, your stress mm-hmm. level, how you handle conflict. It doesn't necessarily mean I have to tell you about all my childhood trauma, but giving somebody an insight as to how you actually operate because we all wear masks and personas to people because we want them to like us. But what we are saying is, you know, whatever the level of deepness you want to go, it's more so just about being your actual authentic self who you are how you really handle these types of situations as opposed to just you knowing that you know I have childhood trauma or whatever the case is yeah and I think I mean everyone 
everyone falls separately on the spectrum and I definitely think I started sharing and becoming intentionally more vulnerable a longer you know a long time ago at this point and still still working on it I think I have a lot more to go um but I think that maybe that's part of it I don't know that if you you would have asked me a couple years ago I definitely would have said that there's such a thing as being too vulnerable my mind has changed and it could change again uh I don't know so I guess we'll see and um you know we're just here to say that being vulnerable can have some great payoffs and can help you make some great connections with people and live a really authentic life uh just figure out what it is that you know what your version of vulnerability is and um how you want to explore it so um without before we head on out of here i have some red wine calling my name because i oh. i like need it in my bones um <laughs> Lady said, but first red wine. Truly, like that's that's how I feel, right? I'm literally like so live, laugh, loving, like this looks like coffee, but it's wine or whatever the fuck those mugs say. Like I'm I'm in that mode right now. Wine o'clock or it's five o'clock somewhere or whatever the fuck. No, Um, I think it's a good point to wrap up because I I think that we could definitely start to um delve off into other branches. Yeah, we have a million things to say and honestly Ray will be here uh, any minute. So um so our diamonds of the week are bright spot in a dark place. If you're not familiar, just the happy thing, uh, what our our happy point of the week is or something that brought us joy. Um, so I'm going to go first only because mine's pretty short. And I, I don't know if you told me, but I don't remember what yours is. So my diamond is a Netflix documentary and it's called Murder Among the Mormons. And I've seen like quite a few people are watching it and I've seen very mixed reviews on how people feel about it. I I think I thought it was interesting because I've been, I mentioned it before, I've been there. I've literally been in the Mormon community. I spent a week with them. And I um, I thought it was so, what? Nothing. <laughs> Just thinking of you in the, immersed in, in Mormonism. With them trying to convert me. It was really, it was a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was interesting. And there was a man in it. I don't know what's wrong with his voice, but he talks like this the whole time. And, um, that, that man is really was the selling point of, because I believe him to either be a liar or he's just been waiting to be on a documentary his whole life. I don't know what it, what it is, but he was, he was really entertaining. So I suggest watching it. It's just, it's one of those things where I told Christy, it's kind of like that don't fuck with cats thing where it's like, it's not necessarily about what it's about, you know, like it is about murder among the Mormons, but then there's there's more to it so there's always more yeah um I thought it was really good and I thought um I don't know there hasn't been a ton of documentaries that I've been super into lately that weren't just about all of our favorite teen stars and how we ruin their lives so um yeah what is uh what's your diamond um it was a very mine was also pretty quick but you know, the topic on everyone's tongues these days is the Oprah interview with Meghan and Harry and all of the aftermath of what people's thoughts were, whether we believe them or not, yada, yada, yada. I did watch the interview, I will say, and it was um, very compelling. But my where my diamond comes in is that if I feel like a lot of people probably know that 
our boy Pierce Morgan, mm. our boy, not boy, Pierce Morgan, um, you know, he was spouting off at the mouth with a lot of harsh criticism. Dumbass sack of mayonnaise. And, um, you know, unfortunately giving the poor pigeon lady from Home Alone a bad name because people have been making comparisons to her in terms of, like, their physical appearance. And I will <laughs> I protect her at all costs because... <laughs> That's just rude. Like, don't bring her don't into bring this. Don't bring her into this. But my bright if spot... If anything, he looks like, P- he looks like PK. Oh. Doesn't oh, he yeah, do yeah, yeah. husband from Beverly Hills? Um, yeah. But the bright spot comes in where the clip of Chelsea Handler from her oh. interview, I don't know how long ago it was. I think but it was 2014. She, she shuts him the fuck down and she goes, you're a horrible interviewer. Mm-hmm. If anything, it, you know, it's not my responsibility to keep you interested because he tried to then say, well, you're just not interesting enough as a gift. And she says, I don't fucking care. That's not my job. You're the interviewer. Mm-hmm. You should be the one steering this conversation. And if anything... I would like this hour of my life back. And she's like, and that's probably why you're just, uh, why you're losing your job, right? Yeah. Yeah. I Um, love her. God, she is. So I I just really enjoyed, I just enjoy bullies getting a taste of their own medicine, so to speak, and being told you're a dick. He's such a, you know what he is? He's the embodiment of that guy who called you four eyes in the bar that then I beat up that day. Like, he hit on Meghan Markle. She shut him down. And then he decided to try to slander her and trash her for years. And the minute someone called him out, he cried like a little fucking baby and had to run away. Stormed off and quit. And with his saggy jowls. I, you know what? We know Boy, what? Bye. You know what? We're going to leave on the high of that, like, bye, peers. Goodbye. Peers. And <laughs> peers. Goodbye. And we shan't ever see you again. And um, I hope you go no, to wherever the fuck they're keeping Matt Lauer and Prince Andrew. You well, guys can all go somewhere together. Well, the point of that, everybody, yeah. as Katie's Sorry, coming down, really is that up. it was more Chelsea Handler, not uh, Piers. You're she right. She was my bright spot, not him. Way to bring it back to the good thing, because now I do feel good about it again. Now I'm, now I'm happy again. You're right. Chelsea yeah. is Chelsea's what matters. Yeah. You're right. So um, with that being said, I hope that this... I hope this episode was somewhat helpful. Again, there was so much to be said about this topic that I know I probably rambled on and maybe didn't make any sense. But if anyone needs any clarification or would like to have a conversation about their vulnerabilities, please uh, reach out to us and Katie will tell us, tell you where you can find us. Yeah, you could uh, DM us on Instagram. You could follow us. You could like our stuff. You could comment on our pictures. You could go, I mean, there's all sorts of things to do there. So go follow us on Instagram at we don't know her pod. Uh, you could also <laughs> email us at we don't know her pod at gmail.com for if you want to get in touch, if you want to come on the show, if you want us to come on your show, if you want to tell us that you want us to stop recording, we won't listen, but email us and let us know. Do what you want to do. Yeah. And also we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to revive the request for anyone listening to leave us reviews because I do think that it is helpful in getting our names out there. Yeah. And so, I want to know what you guys think. Like, come on, let us know. Do you, right. do you think we're doing well? And not <laughs> because we need validation, but no, just wanna, so that we want to, yeah, we can tailor this in a way that's helpful for other people and not just me and Katie over here rambling about our trauma. Literally, truly. Uh, so we can't say enough. Reach out to us. Um, we love you guys. And uh, for listening. we'll see y'all on the other side. Bye. Peace.